Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and again, I'm here with Bishop Todd Hunter. Hey, Ben. Here we go again. Here we go again, uh, Todd. It's great to be with you. Uh, I'm excited to continue our series uh, to start the—eventually, we're going to have a lot more voices uh, in this podcast, but we thought uh, that our inaugural series should be a series that outlines the story— of C4SO, the mission of C4SO, uh, and the values of C4SO. And so uh, if you haven't listened to those first three episodes, go back uh, and check those out if you want a little bit of a uh, history and some narrative about uh, how we got to where we are now and what we're up to now. Uh, We want to take the next five episodes, including this one, to outline the values of C4SO. Now these, we've got five values um, that are there on the website that kind of inform uh, who we are and how we get our mission done. Um, and today we want to focus on the first one of those values. It's called kingdom. And so, uh, Bishop Todd, I think I'll just turn it over to you. What do you mean by kingdom? What, uh, what do we, obviously we're talking about the kingdom of God, um, and the kingdom of God is a big deal uh, for you. And the uh, what you say, what you say is this: that the only grand explanatory system that can carry both the entire purposes of God and the full needs of humanity is Jesus' gospel of the kingdom. Um, maybe we shouldn't assume that people know what that is. Um, maybe you can lay out what what you mean by that. What do we mean by yeah. the gospel of the kingdom? How is that distinct from maybe other inherited uh, definitions or versions of the gospel that we've heard before? And why is that important? So I I had a fun new thought the other day, Ben. I I like having new thoughts. Um, Mm -hmm. But that if uh, if like stuck in an elevator and I had 10 seconds to explain C4SO to somebody, I think I would say um, we're on an adventure to take Jesus seriously. Hmm. I can think if I had like whatever that took three seconds. If I had yeah, three seconds, that, that was, you, you had plenty more seconds. Yeah, after, I think if I was pushed that, into so. a corner, <laughs> that in that in very very many ways, uh, this is an adventure in taking Jesus serious, hmm. which then gets right to the heart of your question. Yeah, it is it is stunning that when Jesus explained the gospel, he said that it is that the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the great good news. He, he thought that was the, the best news that humanity could possibly hear. Mm-hmm. Well, then it's on us to try to understand what did he mean? Um, how, how would that inform whatever he meant? How would that inform discipleship? How would it inform church life? How would it inform things like discipleship and justice and other notions? Mm-hmm. Um, now, in my lifetime, you know, as a evangelical boomer, the reductionisms of Jesus, or I would say with all kindness, the failure to take him serious, was to make the gospel all about going to heaven when you die. Hmm. So the idea yeah. was you said the sinner's prayer. Um, well, you came to, I don't want to be unfair here. You, you came to see that you were a sinful person. Yeah. 
Yes. And so there you might think about Luther and law and that mm -hmm. sort of thing, or yeah. the more popular versions of the the um, uh, the the central place of the law in evangelism. Well, that right. central place was to convince you that you were a sinner. Right. And you then Jesus, of course, is uh, the savior of your, he's your savior and he forgives mm -hmm. you of your sins. Mm -hmm. And then if you were to ask, well, what's crucial about your sins being forgiven? The answer would have been so that you can go to heaven when you die. Right. Now, these are serious people um, who I would just want to say uh, inadvertently, probably the law of unintended consequences were reducing Christianity or the message of Jesus to the category of soteriology. How is it that someone is saved mm -hmm. and what does it mean to be saved? Yeah. Well, the problem with that explanation of the gospel and the problem with not taking Jesus serious about that is there's no vision for life. Right. The whole meaning of the gospel is all about what happens to you when you're dead. Yeah. And therefore, discipleship became really hard because it wasn't intuitive. It wasn't seen to be central to life. So that's the way the evangelicals of my generation missed it. But yeah. Ben, I grew up, I think we might have said this in the first podcast, I grew up in a really stereotypical 1960s liberal United Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. So liberal socially, liberal theologically, you know, like by liberal socially, I mean like really socially conscious. Right. And so the, the traditional liberalism, post-World War II traditional liberalism that we basically inherited from Europe, from Germany um, mostly, mm -hmm. um, they thought the gospel is all about curing social ills. Yes, And that's sort of the, the gospel on the left. Well, there's nothing wrong with thinking that Christianity should have a curative effect in social ills. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with thinking that Christianity doesn't fundamentally deal with our sins. Right. But the point of that, that verbiage you read about the only grand explanatory system yeah. is that the gospel on the left can exclude discipleship because yeah. it makes it all about... Um, you know, social ills, and the gospel on the right, mere forgiveness to go to heaven, can also inadvertently displace discipleship. Yes. So I think, we again, we just have to take Jesus serious. Jesus, of all the things you could have said, why did you say that the inbreaking of the rule and reign of God? So you asked me to talk a bit about kingdom. So kingdom translates the word basileia as a verb. Basileia means to rule or to reign. Um even those aren't sometimes really helpful words. So I guess the way to, for me, the way to think about the kingdom of God or the inbreaking of the kingdom of God is the making of God's intention being closely proximate to humanity. So the way I think about it sometimes, Ben, is the first human sin, they're banished from the garden. So you might say sort of banished from God's presence. Now, not obviously entirely, but right. there's something of banishment, right, in the garden. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got all the ups and downs of human history from the flood to the calling of Abraham and, the, and the, the people of God and all the ups and downs of judges and kings and prophets and, you know, all the way up to John the Baptist. And then Jesus bursts in on the scene and says, the ruling and reigning of God is now more proximate to humanity than it's been since they were banished from the garden. Mm. And you're all now sort of reinvited mm -hmm. to live into what it means to be human. And so that's what I mean, Ben. That's a grand explanatory system. Whatever Jesus had in mind was something transcendent, grand, overarching, you know, something yes. like that, that included justice issues. It included mm -hmm. things, obviously, like regeneration, 
um, being redeemed, being reconciled. Of course, all those soteriological categories are caught up in Jesus's grand explanatory scheme, but in my view, they can't be reduced to it. Yes. So it isn't that those things were wrong, per se. It wasn't that they were directly sort of against the gospel. They were just reduced versions of it that ended up uh, excluding any kind of discipleship. Discipleship didn't, didn't make sense. Discipleship doesn't make sense unless the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. Right, because right. Jesus' next words were, come follow me. <laughs> right, right. So, come, so here... Yeah, like, come follow me and do what? Like yeah, get it's saved like him and go saying, to heaven? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you know, so it's like, like him yeah. saying, hey, look, here's the big deal. Now yeah. come follow me, become my student, you know, right. become a mathetes, right. uh, a student, uh, um, a, a disciple, an apprentice... Yes. Um, but I think the big insight here, Ben, is you you can't have a mafe taste without a Rabboni. Right. And the Rabboni was saying something. Yes. And then saying, well, come follow me and I'll train yes. you in kingdom living. I'll train right. you what it means to be human in the image of God. I'll train yes. you what it means to be human given the rule and reigning of God. Yes. Now, of course, in, in Jesus's day, he was looking at crowds full of people like Herodians, Mm-hmm. The Qumran sect, the Essenes, you know, the Zealots, Pharisees, Sadducees, and then also just sort of, you know, you might call run-of-the-mill riffraff. Well, the run-of-the-mill <laughs> sure. riffraff, they didn't have strong opinions about this stuff. Mm-hmm. But the Herodians, the Zealots, uh, the Qumran, the Essenes, the Pharisees mm-hmm. and Sadducees, they all did have explanatory schemes yeah. that thought they thought they knew what it meant to be faithfully Israel. Yes. And Jesus is exploding all those. Yes. Now, in our days, I want to say that, that Jesus' same message, if we try to take him seriously, also critiques Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, Marxist, Socialist, you know, like whatever you want to name, those things aren't grand enough explanatory schemes. Yes. They can't cover the whole purposes of God, no matter how hard they try and they can't really fulfill all the, the, the brokenness of, you know, human need. Hmm. I mean, this sounds a little bit pessimistic, maybe. Maybe it is. But, you know, one read of modern partisan politics is that both parties have been marketing themselves to us as follow me, follow my ideology, and you will be free. Yeah. So on the conservative side, that means a certain thing. Right. On on the progressive side, it's a little clearer because they seem to be the, the ones that are always fighting for various forms of freedom, right? Mm-hmm. But both sides are yelling at us, follow me and we will make you free. And I yeah. just want to say, I just want to make an observation that people can do what they want with, <laughs> that neither of those parties are actually capable of delivering on the freedom they promise. Yes. That that freedom is only actually found in being a student of Jesus in kingdom living, and so that's why I wrote that sentence. It's it's really kind of for me, Ben. Of course, it's I guess theological, but for me, it's almost more imaginative and evocative. Yes. Like what can explain, pardon my language, of all the crap? <laughs> like what makes sense of, but not just yeah. the crap. The beauty of poets, the beauty of visual artists, the mm. the acts of kindness that happen all day, every day around America that never make the news because there's so much crap. You know what I mean? Like, if you just think yeah. of all the stuff we're faced with all day, every day, like, what can possibly make meaning of that? Yeah. And I just don't think the, ideolo- the ideology of any 
and not just in America, but any global political system is actually capable of yes. like, like if they were wheelbarrows, Ben, mm -hmm. they can't fit the whole purposes of God and all the brokenness of humanity in their wheelbarrow. Yes. I, I think only the gospel of Jesus can do that. And his gospel was a gospel about the kingdom. The C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight is a brief segment of the podcast where we highlight the specific ministry we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week we're actually praying for all C4SO clergy during the liturgical season of COVID tide, as some of us call it. Um, the clergy who are seeking to work creatively and faithfully in this time of pandemic and social unrest. So in lieu of our normal interview, uh, I'm here with Bishop Todd, and uh, Todd, I wonder if you would just offer a word of encouragement for our clergy in this time. Yes, I'd love to, Ben. That word faithfully stands out to me. You know, it implies that there's a thing, like we might say a true north, uh, to which we're meant to be aligning ourselves. The word faithful means something like that. And Jesus had this on his mind a lot. I, there's uh, three passages from John 5 and John 6 in the message that I've just loved for decades, where Peterson has Jesus saying, uh, John 5, 23, it's urgent that you listen carefully to this. Mm -hmm. Anyone here who believes what I'm saying right now and aligns himself with the Father who has put me in charge, at this very moment, they will have real lasting life. That's just such a great picture to me that, mm -hmm. that, that the faithfulness that all of our colleagues are working towards, it is the well from which someone finds the real and lasting life. They, you know, that's obviously Peterson translating uh, Jesus with eternal life. Yes. Or in John 6, 35, Eugene has him saying, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me, that is to say, you know, is faithfully bent towards me, Will they hunger no more and thirst no more? Now, just you and I know, Ben, because we're both leaders, how much our colleagues are just hungering right now for something, hmm. thirsting for something. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. If you align with me, you'll hunger and thirst no more. And then later on that, in that same passage, Jesus says, this is what my father wants, that anyone who sees the son and trusts who he is and what he does, and then aligns himself with them, will enter real life, eternal life. Mm -hmm. So I just picture, as we go to prayer here, Ben, I just picture our colleagues all throughout C4SO, um, you know, coming, coming close to Jesus, aligning with him, and then experiencing the real lasting life, hunger and thirsting no more entering the real and eternal life. Hmm. Well, amen. Let's, uh, let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who alone works great marvels, send down upon our clergy and the congregations committed to their charge the life-giving spirit of your grace. Shower them with the continual dew of your blessing and ignite in them a zealous love of your gospel through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.
I hear you saying that um, the goal here is to be able to zoom out far enough, you know, because there's all kinds of particular things we can get stuck on, right? You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's the ideologies of the left or the right, um, or maybe it's just you know we're a church, we're a, a church organization, right? We're a diocese, we're a um, a grouping of churches. And so I think even it's easy to get stuck on the practicalities of what that looks like, you know, yeah. what, you know, like the practicalities yes. of running a church, starting right. a church, like what, oh, what yeah, does or, that do? Or, or the, what kind of diocese are you within ACNA? Right. right. And right. what is ACNA within the Anglican communion? Right. Or, or, yeah. And what are Anglicans within the great tradition? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. So it's a way, um, it's not disregarding, obviously, the tradition of Anglicanism that we have inherited course, yeah. and received, but it's a way of saying that um, even Anglicanism needs to fit within this vision of God's kingdom coming in, in you know, the gospel of the kingdom. Right. Um, so maybe let, let's turn our attention to what does it look like then? You mentioned that Jesus says, follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, appre- we become apprentices. Yes. We become disciples uh, of Jesus. And one of the evocative phrases, uh, to use your language, um, that I find there is... Um, called his first disciples to become apprentices in kingdom living, which means that they derive their life mm-hmm. from divine rule and reign. Right. Um, and so that that's an evocative phrase for me, mm-hmm. because I think it's more than just imitating Jesus. It's more than just watching something and trying to do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. There is a organic, spiritual... Like, what do you mean by derive their life yeah. from the rule and reign of God? You talk well, about that I mean something like what I think you're assuming in the question, that the practices you would talk about that a student has, mm-hmm. they come from the deep will or intention of a human heart. Mm. So there have to be people listening to this podcast who just hate golf, who just think it's the <laughs> stupidest thing in the world. And who would want to go to a driving range and hit balls for an hour or... Right hit crooked balls on a golf course yes. and go chase them. And, you know, that my, just seems My like daughter it. is one of those people. I don't know if she's going to listen to this podcast, but she is definitely <laughs> yeah. a golf hater. <laughs> yes, there are, there are plenty of golf haters. <laughs> um, but, but let's say your daughter finds a boyfriend uh-huh. who loves golf, hmm. and then suddenly she wants to be involved in golf because she wants to be with her boyfriend or, uh-huh. you know, fiancé or husband's, you know, yeah. um, passions. Well, then suddenly something happens in her will. Hmm. Something happens to shape her intention. And what I'm trying to get there, get at there is what does shape the human will? What can compel Hmm. the human will? And again, I think Jesus was saying to people, like I often think of the, the woman at the well and her horrible predicament And she was trying to, let's say, derive her life from being under the umbrella of a male who could ensure that she had food and water and safety and just the basics of life. Like, I think that's what's happening with that woman at the well. Yes, okay. She is, obviously, I don't mean this as a criticism. I have huge empathy for that woman. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was just, it had not occurred to her that there was a divine life available to her Hmm. that would free her from male hierarchy and male patriarchy. Yeah. But she was consistently giving herself to men because she didn't think she had any other option from right. which she could derive a human life. And right. we could go on and on talking about things like that, but that woman at the well is always, for me, kind of a standard uh, icon hmm. yes. of, of Jesus's invitation that if you'll come follow me, you will find a freedom. You'll derive your life from a different sort of source. 
Yes. And so the reason this is a big deal for me and our the statement of our values is it gets at things like meaning, like what's the meaning of maleness, the meaning of femaleness, what's the meaning of humanity, hmm. you know, what's the meaning of our situatedness in life? All of us are situated differently. And, and of course, that's being called out today a lot in our, in our social mm-hmm. discourse, mm-hmm. that some situatedness is, so, sorry, that's probably not a word, some places where human beings are situated have more privilege than others. So, yes. so when you hear all the talk of privilege, that's just talk about situatedness. Right. And so how do you make meaning of that? And so to me, deriving your life from and living it within the kingdom of God gets at things like source or yeah. gets at identity. Hmm. So yes, I am a white boomer um, who has lived a middle, maybe slightly upper middle class life my whole life. Mm -hmm. But that does not give me my ultimate meaning. My ultimate meaning asks the question, how do I take my maleness, my whiteness, my, my economic and educational situatedness in the world and how do I use that for the good of others? But see that last phrase, for the good of others, will never occur to you unless you f- are deriving your life from the kingdom of God. Yes. Otherwise, it just gets down to demographics, identity politics. It gets down to stuff that isn't actually very helpful. It's power games. Yeah, yeah. it's because, just another way of yeah, yeah. describing or playing power yeah. games. Yeah, so right? if I'm deriving my life from my whiteness or my maleness, right, mm-hmm. the, the fact that I have a power and privilege just because of, you know, uh, the, the accident of being born as the person I was born, if I'm deriving my life from that, it will be, I will find it impossible to lay down my life because right. I, I will not trust that I, you know, I won't survive, right. you know, yes, like I can't, right. I can't give these things up. I can't lay this down um, unless I really am confident that my, I, I'm deriving my life from uh, a different source, from a divine right. source that's revealed in Christ who shows us that actually real life comes, you know, through the cross, right? That's right. kind of the So we're actually kind of back to where we began, Ben. Yeah. That maleness or whiteness or a certain economic or educational status is not a big enough explanatory scheme. Right. Yes. It's there there maybe they're like little glasses, you know, pieces of glass in a mosaic, so they're not unimportant, mm-hmm. but they can't be made to be the whole scheme. Yes. And when we try to do that, as is sometimes done today in sociology or anthropology or identity politics, is that we reduce things down and then we get frustrated because, again, they're not big enough wheelbarrows to carry what we try to make them carry. They just, they can't do it. Yes. Yeah. That that gets into um, one of the questions I wanted to ask about some of the ways that this is phrased um, in kind of our statement of values. you say this, that in the kingdom of God, we experience ministry as unlimited access to divine resources. Mm-hmm. So we can, enjo- we can engage in joyful generosity. And here we talk about planting churches uh, as outposts or embassies of the kingdom, sending our best leaders, making financial investments to the overflow uh, of, um, as the overflow of the rule and reign of God in whom we live and move and have our being. And I, I'm hearing you say in this phrase and also just what you said about... Um, deriving our life from the kingdom, from divine rule and reign, this contrast between a story of scarcity mm-hmm. and a story of abundance. Right. Um, I'm wondering if you can maybe talk a little bit more about what, what kinds of practical difference does this make then 
you know, um, to actually believe that that ministry is having access to these divine resources, that we're actually deriving our life from something beyond, you know, the things that we could give up. Um, What becomes possible for us when we dare to act as if that's actually true? Yeah. Well, um, going back to that wheelbarrow illustration, which I've never used before, I've never had that thought before, but since we've had it... uh, (laughs) Here it is. uh, We're, uh, well, this might be unfair, I don't know. Uh, I hope most of our listeners can remember what matchbox cars are, those little, you know, little teeny replicas. Like whenever I tell my wife I want a Porsche, she always says, okay, I'll get you one. And she means, you know, the the Mattel or whatever they are, you know, little matchbox cars. Well, if if somewhere deep in our soul, we believe that we're using a matchbox car size wheelbarrow, mm-hmm. then we are going to totally give in to scarcity um, and totally have the feeling throughout life that I'm not safe, life isn't really working, I don't have enough capacity in my little wheelbarrow to make me feel secure, to make me think that I have enough for... T- tomorrow much or today much less tomorrow certainly this little wheelbarrow doesn't seem to have enough to give to others and so you end up in sort of an ever increasingly diminished human life Hmm. but if you think again of jesus inviting us into the rule and reign of the trinitarian god now think how expansive that is so you move from like a matchbox size car wheelbarrow in your heart and soul mm-hmm. to now a literally cosmic sized yes. wheelbarrow in which God is superintending the whole cosmos to its intended conclu- its intended um, consummation. And so Jesus is inviting us into like an abundance. Mm. Uh, a part of what he means when he says, come follow me is John 10, 10. And in fact, doesn't it say, um, follow me and I, and I will give you a life in that more abundantly. Right. So again, that doesn't mean f- fancy cars and big houses and all that. It's, it's the sense of scarcity will be banished from your soul. Hmm. Now, I think we could just like stop there and go on a three-day retreat. <laughs> yeah. Just to imagine <laughs> scarcity being banished from my soul yeah. and all the ways in which we think of scarcity, not just money and education right. and cars and stuff, but, but, um, but things like identity, as we were talking about, like just those scarcities being banished. So that's kind of a theological way of talking about it, Ben. But for me, actually, this goes back to something that John Wimber, the founder of Vineyard Church, has said to me when I was probably 23 years old. And he said, Todd, in the kingdom of God, um, we are made so generous that we can give away our best. Mm-hmm. Now, forgive me a little bit of a self-serving story. I wouldn't have never known it was a self-serving story I heard later. But I, uh, I finished university. I went to Calvary Chapel Bible School because I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't make it as a major league baseball player. I was sort of, I was toying with the idea of using my degree in business to work on the business side of baseball. Mm-hmm. But I was also feeling these little rumblings of maybe being called to ministry, whatever heck that might mean. Right. So I decided to go to this Bible school for a year to take like a gap year, right? And, and just try to figure out this Christianity ministry thing. Well, as I was graduating from that, somebody introduced me to John, and uh, and John was teaching about the kingdom, and and he told me later this story. He said, "When you did your internship with me, and I don't remember his exact words, um, but he basically said I so wanted to keep you on my staff." Hmm. 
But the spirit spoke to me and said, no, you need to let this kid go. This kid like has its, his own vision. And John just explained to me, and again, so to me, this isn't a story about me. It's a story about this vision of, of yeah. in the kingdom, you can be so generous, yeah. is John said to me, like, I knew I was giving away my best, mm. but in the kingdom, that's what we do. Mm. That there's so much riches in the kingdom. There's so much capacity. There's, um, there's so much like power and authority and ability, you know, just think of the Greek terms dunamis, you know, there's this mm. dynamic power in the universe or authoritarian, there's this enormous authority in the universe that when we give ourselves to it, we never have to worry about um, scarcity again, that we can mm. give away our best. And as Jesus said, it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running yeah. over. Like you just yeah. can't outgive God. And that's so important to me, Ben, practically mm. speaking, as you said, within C4SO, is I just don't want little churches thinking they can't be in the game. Mm. And I don't want small staffs thinking they can't share their resources. I just want people to be aware from the deepest part of their heart that, that our personal discipleship and our corporate ministry is connected to unfathomable riches. Yes. Uh, I mean, just think of all the Psalms and stuff that celebrate. Yes the capacity of God. Hmm. So again, for me, I guess this is why I'm not a proper theologian, is that for me, these things always, they're imaginative. Yeah. Like, I just I just imagine that I'm, yeah. like, God really does have so much capacity that none of these things are a zero-sum game. Yeah. So yeah. that even if you came to me and said, gosh, Todd, I didn't see this coming, but I feel called to go be a professor, or I feel called to go run an agency, or even... Mm -hmm. God's calling me into the Eastern Orthodox Church or something, I would never think, my first thought would never be, well, sucks to be me. My first thought would be, <laughs> how, do I, how do I help Ben do what the Spirit is doing in his life? Yeah. Well, again, that's not because I'm such an incredibly good person. It's because for 40 years, my heart and mind and soul and my imagination has been steeped in this notion that there are so many riches in the kingdom of God that if I were to give away a Ben Stern key, I'm not a loser. Mm. It will be given back to me, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Yeah. Like, I really believe yeah. that. And I don't mean the old prosperity thing, you know, like, right. Right. I mean, a like a principle in, in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's this, uh, I mean, the theme that's kind of emerged, I don't know why any of that wouldn't make you a proper theologian. Um, I'm still, <laughs> still thinking about that. What, what, what the, why does using your imagination disqualify I guess because I don't feel very technical. I always okay, feel right. more sort of imaginative, whatever yeah, that means. Yeah, well, I, I uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, uh, I enjoy the language uh, of imagination. Because I, I do think it is, because um, it helps us uh, practically live this stuff out. Yes. You know, um, that if, uh, if, so the kingdom is this grand explanatory story. It's this, it's this vision that we have that allows, uh, as you said, it allows us to sort of give away uh, our best, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But I'm putting those, I mean, you guys, uh, listeners can't see me put air quotes around that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like, because in one sense, uh, if we really have this vision of the kingdom, we don't, we're not giving anything away. Yeah. Like That's we're right. we're just we're just sort of like moving things we're around, conduits. you know. We're yeah. we're part of this larger story. That's not just a diocese. It's not right. just a church, and it's not just a nation. You know, it's not just a, uh, a a political party. It's not all the all the kind of ways that we derive our identity, all the ways that we separate ourselves from each other, mm -hmm. and sort of work over against each other. 
I think part of the power of this vision of the kingdom is to draw us together, which of course is what you know Christ talked about um, right. doing on the cross. So all people would be drawn um, so that we could sort of realize this deep connectedness that we have yeah. with each other as humans. And then I think the other thing I'm <clears throat> hoping would happen with you know that phrase, unlimited access to divine resources, is that it would fund a really joyful generosity. Yes. Um, but more than that, even when I think of the the day in and day out work, the, the day in and day out work of pastors, especially right now in the midst mm-hmm. of all of our crises, mm-hmm. is that where do you find confidence? Hmm. Where do you find unfeigned, no BS confidence? Hmm. Well, I would suggest that you find it in the unlimited access that we have to God as his children. Yes. And, and or I might say to those amongst among us who really love notions of um, of um, uh, ontological notions of the church, hmm. that if we really are the body of the head, Christ, well, well I mean, just think, think therefore yeah. what we're connected to. Right. Right. Um, and so you never then, for instance, have to worry that a church is being planted down the street from you or that mm-hmm. somebody recruited somebody off your staff or mm-hmm. a key donor had a downturn in their business and now they can't give. So, I mean, these are the things that happen to us all yes. day, every day in yes. ministry. Yeah. And it, it then always leaves us with the question, where does one stand and how does one stand? Mm-hmm. And I would want to answer that, that the where is we stand in the kingdom of God and the how is as students of Jesus. Uh, yes. Whatever Jesus meant by mathetes, whatever that relationship between a Rabboni and a mathetes was meant to be in Jesus's imagination, mm. it's, it's, um, that's the how. Yes. And the where is um, we're standing in the kingdom of God, as yes. Jesus invited us to. Yes. So even the uh, bad circumstances of our life, so to speak, uh, can be, that's, that's the arena where we're learning to live in this kingdom of abundance, um, learning to be generous in the midst of those things. Right. And that's where the challenge always is. Um, when things are going well, we actually do, we just usually don't think about it. We might occasionally be thankful, but we usually don't think about it where we get challenged is when there's an apparent scarcity, an apparent injury, Mm. um, an apparent, um, you know, feeling set aside or something. That's when, we wonder where and how to stand. Yes. Yep. And that's where we have the opportunity to grow into that capacity. Um, well, this has been great. Um, thanks for outlining this for us, Todd. Um, this was the, the first value, um, kingdom. We are going to, over the next four episodes, uh, proceed to outline and explain and teach on uh, the next four values, which are spirit, formation, mission, and sacrament. So I'm excited to do that. Any final words for uh, our listeners today, Bishop Todd? Just to say that before this was a, like a statement of value, it was a, a real life to me. And mm. I just am, it's one of the things I'm most excited about, even after 40 some years of being in mm. Christian ministry, is to help people see the kingdom and live their life in it. So it's mm. it's not just kind of an organizational value for me. It's right. a, like a whole life. Um, yeah, it's a whole life thing. Yeah. Well, very good. 
Um, appreciate that. Appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. And uh, friends, we will catch you here next week where we'll talk about uh, the next of our values, spirit, what we mean by that. It's been great. We'll see you next time. See you soon, Bishop Todd. Bye, Ben. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.